Hi there. This is Thomas Spain, one of your hosts for the Best Practices podcast series from the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network. As you may have noticed, only our favorite episodes of Best Practices are archived now on your preferred podcast platform. But don't worry, if you want all the best practices for quality improvement and practice transformation that we have to offer, all 22 episodes of this podcast series are now available on the Mid-South PTN YouTube channel. That's the Mid-South PTN YouTube channel, and the link is available in the podcast show notes. Thanks, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to The Best Practices, the podcast where we explore the best stories of healthcare practice transformation from the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network. Our network a member of the National Transforming Clinical Practices Initiative, supports over 4,000 primary and specialty care clinicians across Tennessee, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Arkansas as they lead their practices to thrive in a value-based healthcare environment. And now your hosts, Dr. Thomas Spain and Kirkland Ahern-Jones. Hello, my name is Dr. Thomas Spain. I'm a primary care physician and the Director of Practice Transformation at the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network. And I am Kirkland Ahern jones Director of the Mid-South PTN Transformation Network. And we're excited to begin this podcast series and explore some of the inspiring and transformational healthcare work that's taking place in medical practices across the Mid-South. Today, we're going to kick things off by hearing how one of our practices, Salome Health in Nashville, Tennessee, has been using team huddles to change the healthcare experience for their patients and for their team. And so I want to welcome our guest today. Our guest is Ms. Claire Reagan. She's the nurse manager at Salome Health, and we're really excited to have her today. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I'm really excited about this topic because huddles I think, are one of the highest impact changes that a team can make to how they work uh, from my experience. And so I really look forward to us unpacking your experience with those. And so I think we're going to just jump into it right now. Our listeners may or may not be familiar with huddles, but we'll certainly learn about them as we talk. So, Claire, I was wondering if you could start by just explaining to us a bit about Salome Health and about the problem or the problems that you were facing when you started to use huddles? Sure. Um, Salome is a primary care clinic for the uninsured um, here in Nashville. And we um, serve those who fall through the gap. It ends up that most of our patients are foreign born, 88%. We have 70 languages spoken, people from over 80 homelands. So right there, our patient population presents um, special challenges, whether it's um, around language and and culture, but also resources. Um, We are also a nonprofit. Our patients um, provide a small amount of our funds, but we raise the rest of our funds. So we have the challenge, too, of um, our development department having to keep our clinic running. And therefore, we use a lot of volunteers in addition to our staff. So the problems that we were facing when I came to Salome six years ago were we were looking at needing to 
improve the efficiency of our patient flow process um, with each of those things in mind that made it especially challenging. And we really wanted to move to the next level of team-based care with our care teams. So both of those problems are what uh, initiated our our, um, huddles. That's a real ground-level thing to do to get started on tackling those problems. And so it sounds like, like so many other clinics, you all have a lot of moving pieces. You have a number of people with different roles involved in the care of your patients each day. And uh, you were looking for a way to just uh, be able to improve the efficiency and and the effectiveness of how you work during the day. Would you say correct. that's true? Yes, correct. Explain to us then uh, about how you do huddles. Tell us about uh, what that was like getting started. Okay. We already as a team um, were meeting before each shift um, together to um, prepare ourselves going forward. We are a faith-based clinic and we would have announcements and, and pray together before we start our day. So we had everyone together. And what we decided to do was to incorporate different levels of huddles. So immediately following that, we our clinical team as a whole um, has a huddle. And that involves um, discussing the assignments for the day, um, any announcements like... Um, how are we doing on amounts of flu vaccine? Um, what new free med we have available to our patients for the day? Anyone who needs to trade off or to get out to a meeting, that sort of thing. Process issues, basically. Um, we try to also look back at the day prior if there's anything that we need to, to learn from. And then we move directly into the most crucial huddle, which is the provider and nurse that are working together for that day. Um, Going through the patient list um, individually, discussing what what is needed there. Um, We also have what we've chosen to call a meeting between that provider and nurse so that the things that are discussing complex patients or the follow-up that needs to happen is safe for these times where both are on admin and can sit down and have an extended time together. But these, prior to the shift, these huddles just last about five minutes, and both provider and nurse have done work ahead of time to prepare for that and are coming as equal team members getting ready to most efficiently and most um, effectively meeting each of those patients that are coming in for the day. Hey, Claire, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you know approximately how many patients does Siloam see in a day? Because one provider and nurse going through a whole patient roster, um, that, that must be quite an arduous task. How does that happen from the pulling of charts to the walking through um, all, those, all those patients' Uh, for the day. So approximately, what is that patient volume? I'm not good at saying what our average day is, but I can talk about each provider um, since um, each shift is going to change a little bit. 
we have pretty complex patients that require extra care. So we may have a smaller volume of patients that are being seen by each provider. It's usually um, anywhere from six to 10 in a shift. So each provider's seen 15 to 20 um, in their whole day um, because we're having to use interpreters. Um, it slows things down a lot. So um, the provider and nurse are ahead of time looking at that list and going into their charts, but they are each looking at the chart in a different way so that they are, there's some redundancy there for overlap if they've missed something, but really they're each looking at it from a different angle so nothing is missed. Um, The nurses are looking for things pertaining to health maintenance needs like Is it time for a mammogram, colon screening? Um, Where are we in our diabetic care coordination? Because they're going to be providing that as well. Um, Who has been the providers going to be looking at what were their behavioral health needs? Have we already pulled in our behavioral health consultant? Um, uh, looking at the, the referrals and diagnostic tests, perhaps, from the last day. So they're coming in from two different um, perspectives and planning together. Each of them get to jog each other's memory on um, social issues. They, uh, we have community health workers. They're, um, the information that they've been gathering from their work will be brought to that meeting as well. And so it sounds like each provider looks at his or her own list of patients coming in for Correct. the Correct. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that helps. Yes. They're just eating, looking at their individual ones. Um, the big overview picture is happening in that bigger clinical huddle and talking a lot more about um, process and big, the bigger picture. And then when it's down to patient by patient, it's just the nurse and providers coupling off and going through the list for the day. So it sounds like doing this requires a number of different people to participate and to know what they're doing and to really buy in to the idea of doing this work. I'd love to hear from you. What was the experience like getting the different members of your team started in doing the huddle and And then after that, I'd also love to hear, how do you keep it on track? How do you keep everyone kind of doing the parts that they need to do? Um, Good question. The first thing you have to do is just create the habit and have a champion. And I got to be the champion (laughs) um, to make sure that I was running the larger clinical huddle and encouraging people to go forward. Um, Once the habit was settled. The biggest challenge, honestly, was encouraging the nurse to rise up and be an equal team member Um, and for the provider to release control of some of the things they were doing and let the nurse take that over. And once they do, everyone's more freed up. So the, the goal was everyone to operate at the top of their training and licensure so that it's pulling off of the one above them. Um, 
we have a wonderful team and they and have already had um a lot of openness to and respect and trust, but that obviously has to be undergirding it all, and you have to have that relationship. But encouraging the nurses to to bring their part with confidence to the table was a little bit challenging at the first. Um, so there was more redundancy at the first. The provider not sure if they were really going to do it. The nurse being reluctant. And then they each got in their groove. I would say that was um, the, the biggest challenge. We also, though, um, have set aside dedicated time where we're talking about care teams. And we always discuss how the huddles are going and what, what are the challenges and the needs. So every other month we have um, our staff meeting is dedicated to breakouts. And so providers and nurses and a representative for community health workers um, meet together and discuss how care teams are going and huddles are a part of that. So we're learning from one another what works. Um and encouraging one another um, with the challenges. Um, I try to take one of our lunchtime nurse meetings once a month to to just um, focus on care teams, and we always discuss the the huddles there as well. And so whenever you start something new in a practice or in a team, it always takes a little bit of time to to figure it all out. How long did that take for you all to feel like you really figured this out and like you were really able to get in and do a huddle and and like you were really performing at it? I mean, I would say getting it to where we are now has still been continuing. I think we could even be better, but several months before we were um, really operating as a team and not just as a, a provider running a huddle, um, probably six months to a year before we were there on some teams. You have some people that naturally can do that. And so some of those care teams moved quicker than the others in that area. And um, that's fine. It, it was their personalities and how they meshed as a team. But the others, because we were um, having those times where we were all meeting together, could learn from those and they came along. So I'm curious, are there any measurable outcomes or other outcomes that you feel like have improved because of the work that you've done with huddles? Yes. Um, definitely have seen our metrics of mammogram screening and colon screening go remarkably up, as well as um, uh, the nurses were always checking for elderly and diabetic needs for Pneumovax. We were able to um, get physici- uh, patient assistant programs for a Pneumovax vaccine. And so those three things have really improved. And I would say that's because of the huddles and the preparation for them. We also have found that um, although we have for a long time incorporated behavioral health into our our care here by um, putting that to the attention of the care teams during the huddles and adding a screening that the nurses were in charge of. We have improved our incorporation of behavioral health in our patient care. 
Well, Claire, I think it really sounds like the Salome Health team are in some ways uh, become old pros at huddles. I think you've already incorporated so many things into the huddles in a short period of time. I'm thinking about our listeners. I'm thinking about people who might be out in a practice. They're a practice manager. They're a physician in a practice. And they're hearing what you're saying, and they're, they may be thinking, uh, we don't have the time to do this in our day. What would you say to someone who f- feels that way? It's remarkable um, how much more efficiently your shift will go when it's preceded with the huddle and the preparation that goes before. Um, we definitely had nurses who had to get used to the idea of preparing the day before, And yet once they did that, their day went so much smoother. Um, There were, um, there's just a multitude of things that can change. And because we were implementing this at the same time as really analyzing our patient flow um, for process improvement, I can say that as a whole, and this was one thing that we implemented, our patient flow improved dramatically. So the experience for the patient is better. It's better for the staff. You're really increasing the joy in your workplace by doing this. Um, It's much calmer. It removes a lot of the chaos. If you can just take out, you have to think five minutes and really not many minutes to prepare for that five-minute huddle. So it really sounds like how you spend the first few minutes of your day can make a difference for the rest of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Claire, one of the um, one of the things we talk about a lot um, in consumer-driven healthcare is the patient experience, um, putting the patient first, making the patient the center of um, the the patient doctor experience. And and it sounds like part of what this does is beginning in the morning. Um, your entire team is gathering and looking at who are the patients as consumers coming in. So as you are sending this message out to other clinics, is this something that that clinics could think about as a way to improve patient experience and possibly um, drive patient satisfaction and improve patient retention and um, and 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 really increase that um, increase that patient satisfaction experience. I think relationship is so key to any of the care that we're giving. And when it's patient-centered, um, it, we are developing a relationship with that patient and including them in their care. Um, there are so many practices, and ours was there too, that simply don't even have a consistency on which um, provider and nurse they're seeing. And when you are committed to a care team, and that consistency, and they're getting to know you, and they're looking together ahead, remember this person and their unique needs, their specific goals for their care, then you can move to a depth that is going to bring a lot more patient satisfaction. 
I heard so many things there. I heard that huddles can improve the experience for your team. I heard that huddles can improve the experience for your patients. And I think I even heard that huddles can help improve the relationship between the patients and their physicians or other providers. Absolutely. And I would include um, relationship with the entire team. So when we have a patient-centered model, we have a provider, we have a nurse, we may have a community health worker here, we may have a behavioral health consultant if they have um, depression or, or another need. Um, and in our place, we, we have social work. You may have a social worker who's really working for those resources or a pharmacist who's specifically helping them get over the barriers um, around their, their um, medication needs. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of people that are building relationship and with that patient coming around them and working for their good. Claire, let me ask a follow-up question to that. What process does your clinic have in place so that when you identify a gap, how do you then loop back and put the resources in place so that when a patient is coming in, you can make sure that you have the resources in place to meet their needs afterwards. So um, you talked about behavioral health and mammograms and colorectal and pneumovax, and now you've talked about the medication closet. So as you worked through this, I'm sure it was um, an imputative process. So how does your clinic... Um, then have a secondary process so that you meet and realize, oh, we need to put in behavioral health work. Um, can you talk a little bit about that so that other clinics can think about what layers they can put in place? We implement uh, have implemented a screening tool that can cover several different areas. And we even rotate some of it off that the nurse is in charge of. The nurse um, can tabulate at the end and then move to the next one and can give a heads up. Um, For example, there's a little depression screen, uh, just a PHQ-2. If that's positive, they'll go ahead and give a PHQ-9 and um, alert the behavioral health consultant if they've not already been a part of that team. So that's even before the provider comes in. It also has um, expert screening. So if there's uh, alcohol or drug problem, they can move to the next step of that and alert the provider before going in. Um, For our patients, we have um, food disparities, um, health literacy, um, PTSD um, that we rotate around to be able to try not to miss that for our patients. Um, We also, for the really complex, now a lot of our patients are complex here. If you just think about their social needs on top of their their, um, physical needs, but um, the most complex of our complex patients receive care coordination and the nurse is the care coordinator and is pulling in, is making a decision on who needs to be pulled in and um, and assigning tasks to them. We need 
pharmacy to be checking on them every two weeks until this is titrated appropriately or um, we need uh, to pull in a community health worker and maybe we need to do a home visit and this nurse and a a social worker is going to go on and and really dig dig down and find out what the true barriers are for resources for them. So I think although um, that isn't technically about huddles, but our care coordination could grow out of what we set in place with the huddles and the care team um, to really um, go upstream and down deep with our patients and trying to address those gaps of care. Oh, thank you. That That's really helpful. I just wanted to, um, for other clinics, I think that might be a helpful piece to understand that, that continuum. Sure. Well, Claire, I have one last question I want to ask you about huddles, and then we're going to move on to our final questions that we ask every guest. And so my last question about huddles has to do with something that's really common in quality improvement. So if you do quality improvement long enough, you realize everything doesn't work like you thought it would the first time. Was there anything in the huddle process that you tried that didn't work? And if so, would you mind telling us about it? I think the the most obvious thing that did not work is we were trying to huddle before every shift. And that huddle before the afternoon shift was we were just not getting it to happen because the morning clinic may not have finished on time and people weren't back from lunch yet or they were worried about getting going on the afternoon and um, there was just less margin there. So we let it go and we said, we're going to look at the whole day in the morning and that works a whole lot better. We still have to have a brief huddle if we're pulling in volunteer nurses because they just sign up for one shift of a day, but that's a lot simpler and easier to pull off than do the whole shebang a second time right after lunch. That's great. I think that's a great story about how quality improvement works. You try something and then you realize that it didn't work like you needed it to. And so you make a change and you try it again until you find the right fit. And it sounds like you'll find that fit. So I'd like to move on then to uh, three questions that we ask each of our guests. And um, the first one is, if you were to refer a listener to one resource that you really feel like was an integral part to your TCPI work, what would that be? Well, since you're asking me, what I would say would be lean healthcare principles. Um, I had the wonderful privilege of getting to go to a lean healthcare certificate course for a week and Salome sent me and one other person. And that just gave us so many tools and such a uh, QI mindset that um, it, it was integral and we could use that as we worked through the TCPI and already had a knowledge of it. So I, I love lean healthcare and its principles and um, and not just those principles, but the QI principles, but lean healthcare was, was very helpful to us. All right, Claire, our second question is, what book is on your shelf right now that you would recommend to listeners? I can um, say two things. I recently uh, 
read a book called Slow Kingdom Coming, Practices for Doing Justice, Loving Mercy, and Walking Humbly in the World. Um, it's by Kent and Nan, and it really can apply to many more places than just a healthcare situation, but because of who we are and the people that we see who are coming out of a broken society and um, much brokenness in their lives, uh, it, it was wonderful um, resource for for how to develop um, relationship with them. And then I thought, well, maybe they're asking for for more of a management or a QI kind of book. And and I have to say, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick um, Lencioni. I read that as I just started here at Salome um, to kind of get my head on straight for um, management and and those that basis is so key. Um, trust is the the bottom of your pyramid that's so important, and being able to have friendly conflict where you're all giving input and then you're having to make a decision on who's who's way to go, and then all being committed to that and holding each one accountable and and looking for the results um, that we have decided as a team. Those. Those functions of a team were really helpful to me. So five dysfunctions of a team was helpful too. Those sound like great bookends. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, those are great. And our last question is, um, is there one component that you feel like a practice really needs to put in place before they can get traction with transforming to value-based care? I would say having your leadership committed to the idea of developing a culture of continuous improvement is so key because what you're looking for is you want the whole organization of people to catch that vision and understand that it's the people on the ground that have responsibility for continual QI. Um, But if your leadership doesn't have that picture and, um, and be able to lead and to release their their team to have input for your QI, then you're going to run into some problems. Thankfully, our leadership um, jumped on right away and was very supportive through the process. Great. And I would second that for sure. I think that um, anytime we've seen a clinic make uh, significant progress and transformation. It has involved having those leaders and particularly clinical leaders really, really involved. And so Claire, any final thoughts for our listeners as we close? I guess I would just say, even though it can look daunting, it's actually fun and rewarding to jump in to do this. Um, when you can see the results that you get from it. And we're all on a mission to provide the best care for our patients. That's why we're in healthcare. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to jump in and learn as you go. That sounds great. Well, thank you, Claire. It's been great for you to join us. Sloan Health's doing great work. And thank you, Claire. Um, for me too, it's um, it- it's so proud of Salome. You are definitely one of our best practices that we have seen so much transformation from and really grateful you all have been part of TCPI.
We were glad to do TCBI, and thanks for having me today. It's been great. Thank you. And I just am going to remind our listeners that we're going to post in the show notes for this episode some links that uh, share about some of the work that Salome has done, as well as some of our resources on huddles. So we hope that you'll check those out, and we'll see you back next week. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to The Best Practices, a podcast showcasing the best of the Mid-South Practice Transformation Network's primary and specialty care practices that have undergone substantial quality improvement transformation and the subject matter experts who have enabled this work as part of the CMS initiative, TCPI. For more information, we invite you to visit MidSouthPTN.com. Subscribe to Best Practices and hear all of our transformation stories. This work was funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative under grant number 1CMS331549-03-00. The contents provided are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS or any of its agencies.